Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy you're tuning into Dose of Leadership, a special edition of Dose of Leadership, an edition episode that is brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank, where they're focusing on leadership and entrepreneurship. And today we're going to highlight Dan McKenzie, the CEO of Insigno. Insigno is a company here in Wichita that has grown into a sizable regional Verizon premium agent. They have 94 locations in eight states, and their primary focus or their market focus has always been in the rural markets of the West. Now, what I love about Dan is he's what I call an introvert, an introverted leader. And I love highlighting introverts because I consider myself one, and it's something I struggled with in my leadership journey for years until I realized the power of introversion and understanding that there's no one right way to lead, right? It doesn't matter so much about your charismatic personality. It's less about that. It's more about an intensity of will, right, and always doing the right thing. And what I love about Dan is he understands the power of knowledge. He understands about, look, you know, about talented and, and always being technically and tactically proficient, but what Dan is um, really passionate about, and I agree with him 100%, is that this um, ethics and values, which are sometimes overlooked when we're looking at hiring somebody or bringing somebody on our team or even looking at ourselves as leaders, you know, we can learn how to become better decision makers. We can learn how to be, again, more technically and tactically proficient in our job. But ethics and values are deeper ingrained in our personalities, all those core beliefs of what is right, what is wrong, fairness, dealing with delicate situations, doing the right thing even when no one's looking, those are things that are harder to teach, right? These are personal decisions that we have to make ourselves. And when we're hiring people, we need to make sure that we're hiring those type of individuals, be maniacal about hiring those type of individuals, and be less concerned about the talent because you can teach the other things. The core beliefs the um, ethics and values, hmm, that's a little bit harder, right? And we talk about this a lot in this conversation. I really think you're going to appreciate Dan's view on this and particularly how it's important in business and in life. And again, this special series is brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. I'm so proud and privileged to have them as a sponsor because they understand what it takes to start and grow a business. It's been fun to watch them grow, being a local Wichita and watching Equity grow over the, over the years into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. They are now listed on the NASDAQ exchange. They've got locations all across Kansas. They spread into Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas, and I'm excited to see what's next for them, particularly in the next 10 years. And clearly, I believe Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth. So if you feel like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader, I encourage you to check out my friends at Equity Bank. Go to equitybank.com and learn more about them. And I really do appreciate you listening to the show. Now, thanks for listening. On to our conversation with Dan McKenzie, the CEO of Insignal, on this special edition brought to you by Equity Bank. Well, Dan, it's a pleasure to meet you. I'm so happy to sit down with you this morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. You know, I'm interested. I was looking a little bit how long you've been where you've at. Was it the C- was it CFO, COO, and now the CEO? Is that the, the progression? Pretty much that's been the progression, yeah. The, I think um, to be successful in an organization, you have to have a good grasp on the numbers. Uh-huh. So it's a good place to start. I think, you know, some of the best, pe- best um, CEOs I've ever worked for had that CFO track, right? 
And I know some of the great leaders or mentors I've learned from, there were some great CFOs. They had that kind of what I call the bean counter mind. And I don't mean that disparagingly. I mean that, you know, they had the, the pinch it for the numbers, but they also had that big picture mentality, right? What is, do you consider yourself one of those guys? Are you a numbers guy? Not in the classical sense of a CPA. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in terms of understanding the numbers, it's, it's the, the ability to make the connections between the dots of what works over here on, on operations, what works for finance, what works for HR, versus just pure numbers. Here's the answer. I don't really understand the question you asked, but here's the answer. Right. What was your background? What was the educational background? Because you started, was it, was it an accounting degree? Was it a CPA? Or The educational background is, is different. Um, it started out as pre-med. Pre-med? Yeah. And um, that didn't last long until I got <laughs> one, one B. That, that was enough for that. So um, moved the track into accounting and ultimately finance. Right. Um, because I had a... Um, penchant, I guess you could say, for for being able to work with people and understand kind of what makes them tick, and uh, which was a long background in M&A. Um, and as part of that, you have to not only understand the numbers, but you have to understand the personalities right? and know what makes them tick, know what motivates them. Um, and then in, that led to a further advanced degree in organizational psychology, which is, again, a little weird combination at first, I think, at first blush. But when you think about the background and what I was doing, it made perfect sense. Because the personalities and understanding what it takes to make a deal or to make a successful organization most of the time goes beyond the numbers. We're dealing with people. For sure, yeah. I mean, it's the heart of of being a great leader. So – I'm interested in this because if I remember my math correctly, 17 years CFO, 17 years as the operating officer, and now we're coming on as just under a year as a CEO. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, the other was a dual role. Um, okay, so it was, so it was the yeah, 17 it was kinda, years. Yeah, okay. kind of doing kind of doing both roles, uh, and was able to through that stretch to develop a staff that I had a lot of confidence in. That, Got it. Uh, I would know the question. I, you know, and I, I would understand the answer they would give me, even though they not, may not have understood the reasons for the questions. Got so. it. Yeah. So great. Okay. Good. Because I was thinking, man, that's you don't look old enough to have that thirty. Okay, <laughs> that's because I'm bald. <laughs> <laughs> so, le- coming up on a year in January, you'd be the CEO of that. What, what has surprised you the most um, over these last ten months? There really hasn't been any surprises um, from what I had expected the role would be. Um, maybe more than anything, there is a expectation the organization has that you have all the answers yeah. at all times, which uh, I think people that think they do are, are delusional because uh, no one does. Uh, and it's been a little bit of an adjustment, I think, for the organization for uh, them to see uh, the CEO say, hey, I make mistakes. You know, I made a mistake. Okay, but I learned from that. I won't do that one again. Hopefully, we all learn from it. And um, so it's 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 been fun. It's been stressful. It's um, it's been annoying at times. <laughs> but you know that that's that's part of life. So yeah, I love your answer. Two things you said there. I want to find out what what's what's the annoying part. But I want to, I love the answer that 
you, you sounds like you went into it knowing that you don't have to have all the answers. That's probably the biggest leadership hurdle I've seen. I know for myself and for a lot of the leaders I've dealt with, is like the moment they let that go, their whole leadership trajectory changed, right? Mm-hmm. And when did that happen for you? When did you realize, okay, I don't have to have all the answers? Actually, it was it was before I was even in this role. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the I, I think. W- one specific case came up, but it was a very significant issue for us uh, as an organization, and no one really had the answers. So you you kind of have to lay out these are the potential solutions and, and assign the risk to them and take your best shot Yeah, and, and recognize, okay, if this doesn't work, okay, but this, this, is, this is the decision that we made at the time that made the most sense. So that was that – was, uh, that was a tremendous learning experience, and it predated this. So I think it helped make this transition easier. Yeah, the moment that you can sit there and stand in front of the folks and say, "Hey, look, I don't have this. I don't have the answer to this." Or even when you make the decision and you and you stumble and you fall and it was a complete miss, uh, the ability to go, "Wow, I, I I gooned that up, right?" So what do we learn? It makes you a human being, and that and there's strength in that vulnerability, really. Mm-hmm. And I wish people would see that earlier, you know. I tell our staff, it's okay to fail. Uh, it's not okay to repeat the same mistakes over and over. Right. Um, right. That's a whole different, that's a whole different solution to that problem. Sure. But, but uh, my best lessons in life have been from stuff I have co- totally fouled up because I won't make that mistake again. Exactly. And I think uh, successful leaders approach stuff that way and take those lessons from when you're younger in life and apply it to when you're old and bald. You know, at some point it's interesting. I don't know if you consciously or intentionally were thinking about the term leadership or leader or what it even meant. Obviously, as you get into these roles, and I'm sure you thought it was one thing back then and you think it's one thing now. Talk to me a little bit about that that, um, kind of journey of that transition. At what point did you realize oh, I got to be a little more intentional about this leadership journey than just having a position and title. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, it's that. that's a difficult question to answer, I think, it's because uh, it's a progression of, of life experiences yeah. that get you to that, to that point. Um, probably it was a culmination of events that I looked at how things played out and thought I can do better. Right. I know I can do better. Right. Um, now, I don't know how much better, but I know I can do better. Right. Uh, and so you focus on that and say, hey, what skill sets do I need to get me to the, into the situation to have an opportunity to, to make that leap and, uh, and do it? What about – part of that is – I guess it goes back to the question I'm curious. What was the dream, I guess, when you were when you were that – you know, young uh, finance guy learning about finance, getting the business, this kind of uh, sound like you're interested in the psychology of business and organizational effectiveness. What was the dream back then? I mean, what were you hoping to be or how did you want your life to kind of pan out? Was it a CEO, CEO role or what was it? It was. And I think um, the answer to that question you've posed is, where do I want to be in life? Yeah. Uh, and I think if someone answers the question, hey, I want to be the richest person in America, um, I don't want to be that person. Right. Because I, I think that's a different mindset. It's a different 
perspective on life, and there's way too heavy of a price to pay for that. So yeah. I think at the end of the day, uh, success is judged uh, from my perspective is have I made a difference in people's lives? Have I been successful at what I do? And have I created opportunities for other people to succeed? Because at the end of the day, let's face it, um, we all get carried to the grave by our friends and our family. Right. We don't take our stuff with us. Right. So that's how the ultimate judge is, judgment's made. I so. love that. That's a, that's a, that's a, how can I add value, uh, uh, philosophy of life, right? And I think that's the key to being an influential leader is constantly asking, how can I add value to this transaction without really expecting anything in return? That's what I heard in that answer, by the way. You know, it's kind of like I'm, I'm adding, that was your first thing is like, what can I do? How can I make this person better, this situation better? I call it, I don't know if you're in Boy Scouts or not, but I had a scout master that always said, it's our job to make this campsite better than we found it. <laughs> like that. so, and that really is the philosophy, isn't it? I think right. that's the obligation that we have as leaders is let's make this place a little better than we found it. That right. really is the, the ultimate obligation. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of that goes, as an example, an organization um, – the building our corporate office is in does not have our name on it, hmm. and that's intentional because our success is measured by how well our staff is doing at our other locations. Great. We want the, we want signs, names, flashing lights. Um, where the senior leadership is at, we don't need that. We're not the ones making the organization successful. So probably we're one of the few businesses of our size in Wichita that could say that. I love that. I love the. It, that resonates with me deeply, and I remember look, and looking at your website and kind of the who you are section. You'd spend a lot of time talking about why this is a great place to work, and it's hidden in there. And I love that. And I love that you're kind of like I'm behind the scenes, and we're we're creating this great place to work. We're impacting lives. We care about the community. We care about our employees, and we don't care about the the the, the recognition. Right? I love. I mean, that to me, that's the type of leadership that's needed. And what's so vacant in, in, in today's society? You're nodding your head, so I see that you're. I, abso I absolutely agree with that. Flashing lights and signs don't do much for me. Yeah, I like that. And how does that, when you look at the feedback, you look at some of the people that have worked with you over the years, have you seen that um, kind of preparation and planting? Did it produce a bountiful result? Have you seen some examples and particularly people where that, that has paid off? I have. It's our organization, our industry is a little different in that it's a sales and marketing organization for the most part. So um, we have to have a strong sales and marketing focus. So it presents a bit of a leadership challenge in developing strong marketing people who have a little bit more of a need for that um, recognition and gratification than maybe the senior leadership of the company uh, would require. So it's taking a hard look at those individuals and saying what motivates them, what makes them tick, what in order for me to help them be successful, what do they need? Mm -hmm. um, some of them need more of that. I can think within organization we have some very high performers and they have a need for that. And Interestingly enough, it's it's not a financial need. It's more of a recognition need, which is fine because um, they, they are very good at what they do. Um, and I just have to constantly remind myself, okay, I need 
I'm working with this person today and I need to be sensitive to that. And an hour from now, I'm working with a completely different person who's got different motiv motivations and aspirations. And I've got to shift gears and do what I needed to make that person successful. So, so bundling that all together, um, it actually works because when the sale, when the senior leadership doesn't need the flashing lights and signs, it makes it a, a heck of a lot easier to lead the organization, I think, because that gives you a whole lot more latitude in dealing with your employees. I like that approach and I agree with you. I, I, I hearing you say that, I'm thinking back to the challenges I've had in the organizations that I've worked in, the ones that I've coached. That was kind of an aha moment there when you were saying that, because you're right. I spend a lot of energy and time, particularly in a consulting role or a coaching role, or even the ones I've worked in and my peers, you were always kind of battling that larger than life ego. What, you know, what, what you're saying is absent in your organization is this kind of Maslow's need to stroke these larger than life egos, right? Since that's gone, more energy can be focused, right? on um, where the real leadership is happening in the organization, the middle and below, right? Where mm -hmm. things are happening, the touching customers, everything else. So, yeah. So if you can somehow get a senior leadership team who are really exercising that emotional quotient part of their, their role, and that's what it sounds like it's happening. You've you got a strong EQ in your senior leadership where, where people are constantly seeing how they can – yeah, we. I, I really try hard to impress on our senior leadership team uh, to view things objectively, because um, when you do that, it's you're able to separate out your own personal emotions and maybe even uh, organizational aspirations to find the right answer. Right. And and I think we have been very successful in that. There are there's been some challenges, obviously, but because um, we're all different personalities, and some personalities. You know, when you when you mix the ingredients in a bowl to make a cake, you may not want too much salt. Right. Um, and and so it's, sometimes it's a bit of a challenge as you're dealing with these personalities as you're making this cake to go. Okay, I need I need to move that one a little farther back from the from the edge of the counter. I move this this piece a little closer. Yeah. So, are you an are you would you consider yourself an introverted guy or an extrovert? What are you? Oh, uh, definitely an introverted guy. Yeah. Yeah, when, um, you know, you do all those psychological, which I have a background in. I, I definitely tag that. So, Were you, did it, I'm an introvert too. I mean, and, and it, when I joined the Marine Corps in this, what seemed to stand out, I suppose it's no difference than the first time you're on the playground in elementary school. Everybody gravitates towards that, you know, extrovert. Type A. Did it bother you that you were an introvert when you were starting your leadership journey, or did, or were you were you fully, fully accepting of it from the get go? That's an interesting question. No, it bothered me yeah. uh, because I think um, as an introvert early in our career, we feel we're missing something, right? And um, so I consciously had to, uh, and I had to work to overcome that. Now, whether it's it's a fear of failure in a social situation. Um, or intimidation, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it, it all affects us differently. But it definitely was, and I, th I think I was successful in overcoming it. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of this special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? Right. 
and not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest-growing banks by working side-by-side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Yeah, for me, it was I, I, when you said feel like you're missing something, I know exactly what you mean. And I felt like and that almost led me and it did lead me early on to try to be something that I wasn't as you're trying to figure your way and find out who you are and what's effective and what works. And then I started noticing, particularly in the Marine Corps, and I started noticing leaders who had a presence about them, but they weren't this what I call the stereotypical you know, larger than life. Mm-hmm. They were kind of quirky. <laughs> they didn't look the part. This guy was kind of lanky, you know, right. looked kind of weird, acted kind of weird, but he had a presence. And he had the answer. And he had the answer. Yeah. And he had a confidence about him, right? And he was an introvert. And mm-hmm. it, that, that opened my eyes. And it, my point is it led me to the more authentic I became to who I was because there's a a thousand ways to lead, right? Mm-hmm. A million ways to lead. Right. There's no one right way to lead, as we know now. So I'm just curious. I mean, at some point, it, it's, I mean, obviously you're comfortable with your introvertness. You know, you're you're not trying to be something that you're not, right? Right. And I think uh, as you build organizations, uh, they tend to take on the personality of the leadership. Right. So. Our organization, at least at the senior level, would, would be a lot like that. Um, I wouldn't say we're characteristically introverts, but um, it's – I have been able to bring the objective perspective into the team. And I, I know probably one of my most proudest moments in the last year has been when our executive vice president of sales, the sales and marketing organization, remember, mm-hmm. um, told one of our regional managers he needed to be more objective about something. <laughs> and I knew right then, I've got a W right here, yeah, huge W. So. That's huge, right, because you, you sales and marketing organization, you know, your your typical, the personalities that drive successful sales typically aren't introverts like you and I, right? Right. right. But it is that intensity. I talk about this almost in every show, and but it is a driver of um, – and I got it from Jim Collins, Good to Great, where I read it, or at least the, the genesis of the idea, or at least the vision of that. What he discovered in Good to Great, which a lot of us have read, mm-hmm. where it's that level five leader isn't necessarily that kind of one-sided. It's that person who has that intensity of will with that humble, teachable spirit, and where that Venn diagram intersects, that's the sweet spot, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why you can find very successful, very intense um, leaders that drive sustainable organizations that 
they don't fit the stereotypical mold, I guess, of, of what we call like, you know, taking over the uh, the captain of the kickball team on the right. <laughs> playground <laughs> right. field, right? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. What's uh, So this company that you're you're with now, you've been with them, I guess it's 18, am I doing the math right? 18, going on to mm-hmm. almost two decades mm-hmm. here. Um, it's kind of this little quiet uh, organization that's kind of making things happen. It seems like a great place to work. What are you excited about next? I mean, what as, you, as you're coming up on your 12-month mark as a CEO, what are you looking forward to do? What are you excited about for the future with your company? Well, our company, um, for better or for worse, we're in what I would call – uh, one of the bleeding edge industries of the country. And, bleeding and, edge? Yeah. In terms of cellular communications, uh, we're constantly moving. So over, over these two decades, we went from 1X to 3G to 4G, and we're about to make the step into 5G. Right. So each one of these has its unique challenges from our organization perspective, from the products we sell, from how we train our employees, um, and we bundle that together with what the customers, people listening to this, what their understanding of 5G may do to their life, good or bad, um, is different than what we may have. And so it's finding the way to bridge bridge that to meet the customer's needs and um, help our employees understand what we are bringing to the table for those people. So I think I think the next 12 24 months is going to be exciting because the next step in our industry, um, each change has has brought wonderful products, changes in society, challenges to society with it, and the next step will bring even more. Um, that's, I think that's going to be fantastic. I'm, I am really looking forward to that. Now, when you look out the window here and in three years – Cars are driving by without anybody at the wheel. That wouldn't happen without 5G. Right. So all of these things is going to happen. You know, everything from um, senior living centers no longer have to be migrating to the big cities because rural population is is disappearing. They can stay where they're at because all of all of the monitoring and even surgeries can be done remotely. It's already happening now. So those things are really positive. Things that's gonna that's gonna come to society and in our industry, and so I'm I'm really pumped about it. Yeah, it sounds exciting. What do you What are the challenges internally to to deal with this kind of massive technological change? Or is it is it worrisome to your staff and your folks, or is it, it What is the big challenge? Well, the big challenge for our industry is most individuals at the store level think they're selling a cell phone. That's in their mind. That's their product. Right. And maybe it has been for 15, 20 years. It's no longer the case now. Um, we're, we are essentially the communications node for all of these machine products, individual products that's going to be out there. And getting them to to step back and look at a bigger picture is is – it's already a challenge. We've already started the process, and, and I, I can assure you it's a challenge. <laughs> um, but we'll get there. And, and, yeah. and I think it's important to help educate them what value they're going to bring to their customers' lives and not have such a narrow focus yeah. on the past. Right. 
Is that your prime? And listen to you get that answer. And it, I'm wondering is do you feel communication and communicating that kind of intent or the vision of where it's going? Isn't that your number one role? Or ch even challenge is it constantly communicating that. Yes, absolutely, yeah. and people need to hear that from the leader. Yeah, um, and if they're not hearing it enough, they may not overtly ask for it, but they will give you all the signals they need it. Yeah, and so I so you need to be constantly listening and be attentive for that. Um, and and those situations arise at different times in organizations' history, um, and certainly in our industry, one of those mega moments is right now. Yeah, I find a lot of CEOs struggle, or they don't, when, particularly when they've get got in the CEO role. And I can find I can see myself doing the exact same thing. Um, I've had the benefit to talk to so many CEOs, but we, this idea of constant communication. Um, it's been one of the biggest surprisers that a lot of CEOs I've talked to because I didn't realize how much I had to constantly communicate. And I'm like, you can never over-communicate your intent or where, where the ship is going and why it's going that way, right? It's the why part too, mm -hmm. right, I think is the most critical. This is where we're going and this is why we're going that way. This right. is where we're going. This is why we're going that and way. And this is the positive things that come from that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know it's just going to be a challenge. You know, and, and mentally and emotionally, it's a change. And everyone's uncomfortable with change. But not all change is bad. So yeah, I think that is the primary role, right? I think sometimes we think it's supposed to be, well, I'm the, like you said, the man with all the ideas and the grand strategy, and yeah, we want to be the guy with the big ideas, but it's really more about communicating where this is going today and why it's going, there. and that may change, right? Mm -hmm. You may have to pivot, yeah, <laughs> but at least you're constantly communicating. If you can't pivot, you're, you're probably going to get run over at some right. point. <laughs> That's right. Interesting. Well, how do you, you? Who are your your role models? Who are your heroes? Who did you, who did you look do you look up to now, and and who have you looked up to? Who you, who do you try to emulate? You know that's that's um, that's an interesting question. I think that's a, there's a number of different answers to that. Uh, in terms of trying to to model character, and uh, I think. My character was set early in life by my father mm -hmm. because there's um, there's a consistent definition of right and wrong. And at the end of the day, that is the single most important thing. So that that portion of, uh, of your answer comes from that. The piece of who do I look up to, who, who, who has made a difference. I know this may sound a little odd, but I think some of the more important people to look up to are historical figures that um, society or um, a nation has turned to when when they needed when they had a problem. And I think Winston Churchill would be one of the individuals that I would look up to the most because this is an individual that had a very strong will, a very strong character of what's right and what's wrong, and was willing to um, put it all on the line mm -hmm. for that. And um, very few leaders can do that. They they will cave for political issues or or others. And he also had the ability to listen, uh, which is which is rare. I think in looking back at history, some of the course of history has been changed by leaders that would not listen um, to their detriment. And so that would probably be the two 
two people I would answer. Yeah, I mean, how can you go wrong with those answers? Your father and Winston Churchill, I mean, just following those two, you could lead a pretty significant life if you just tried to do one-tenth of probably, Mm -hmm. and I don't know your father, but, you know, we all, I, I love it when people go, and almost invariably people do go back and a, f- a significant family member mm-hmm. is always part of that answer. But I love Winston Churchill, and he, he's one of my favorites too. I mean, he's he's one of those kind of, and he, he's just one of those individuals, right person at the right time in history that mm-hmm. if he wasn't there, who knows what could have happened. Right. And, and did he have his quirks and issues? Oh yeah, but we, we all do. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> and that's why I love him because he was so quirky, so insecure on so many levels, not respected in a lot of you know if you look at um his history prior you know way before what we all become familiar with him you know a lot of stumbles a lot of failures mm-hmm. right. a lot of successes too but he he was by the time he became prime minister you would almost have thought well his time has passed mm-hmm. and then whoop wait a second <laughs> we got a real problem when we need somebody that we know that yeah. can execute and he came through in that pinch. And then mm-hmm. what's interesting is then he was voted out shortly right. after World War II, <laughs> right? right? So, We're problem solved. We're yeah, done. <laughs> yeah. But just, yeah, he, he's he's a great example. I think he's just one of those people, right, you know? And if you just see the caricature of him as pictured and everything else, you, you don't get the full picture of who he was as mm-hmm. a man. And he was a very, uh, yeah, I, I, great examples. I love that. Well, what's how can people, as we wrap up here, what how can people – uh, get in touch with you, find out more about InSignal, or you know, what, what, can I give a little plug for your company here? Sure. Um, InSignal is a large regional uh, Verizon exclusive dealer. We have 94 locations in eight states, a strong rural focus. So um, in terms of contacting me, certainly you can go to the website, we have contact information there, and I would be more than happy uh, to respond to whatever questions I might be able to. And if I can't, I'll tell you I can't. So. Well, I'll have links to that on the post, and I certainly hope people – it sounds like a great place to – for me, if I was looking for a place to work, this is the type of place I would want to work, You know, having a CEO like you at the top who gets kind of the big picture. And one thing I really appreciate and the big takeaway I got is that you seem to be someone that, that hires towards – Character, like you're looking for people that hire that that uh, you, you put a tremendous amount of value on somebody's character traits as opposed to their personal accomplishments. Well, you know, one thing that's different about our organization and that we've always done is for positions at mid level and higher, we always do psychological profile testing Interesting. because um, we're f- strong believers that uh, a person's personality, a person's uh, Psychological makeup is important to to their success, uh, to our success as well. And if it if it's something that won't be a good match, that's great. You know, we we want you to be successful on a different baseball team, <laughs> right? All right, but we know the type of personality we want on our team, and that's what we're looking for. I so. love that. Great, Dan. It's been a pleasure to meet you. I'm so glad to bring you into the Dose of Leadership Tribe, and and so happy to find out these little nuggets. It's always exciting for me, particularly here in town, I'm doing these 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 interviews, that there's so many little pockets and nuggets of leadership that you never hear about. So hopefully we can expose it and, on this show. And I, I learned a lot from talking with you, so thanks for coming on. Great. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening to this special entrepreneurial and leadership series, The Dose of Leadership, brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. 
make sure you, to subscribe to Dose of Leadership where you can hear more great stories in this unique and special series. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a listen to all of my Dose of Leadership podcasts and all of my episodes and see why Fortune, Entrepreneur, and Inc. Magazine all recommend this as a must-listen. Dose of Leadership features candid conversations with amazing guests, leading high-performing experts and organizations, large and small, all over the world. Find Dose of Leadership on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and go ahead and visit doseofleadership.com where you can find out more information about the show, myself, my speaking engagements, my keynotes, live seminars, and my mastermind events. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great day.